Good morning and happy Mother's Day. My name is Tim Fryer and this is my wife Liz. We hope that despite the lockdown, you've had a really special Mother's Day so far that you know, you've gotten all the special crafts and the cards that say, thank you for playing such a monumental role in our lives. This year, I decided to go a little bit more realistic with my card to my mom and it said, you know, mom, thanks so much for driving me over all the years. Mostly to soccer, but also a little bit crazy. Okay, Tim, can you put away the dad jokes? It's Mother's Day. It's such a joy for us to be able to be here and share with you this morning. And to all our beautiful moms, we really do hope that you have a wonderful day today. And even while being isolated, that the cards and homemade gifts and perhaps even breakfast in bed will help you to know that you are so loved and appreciated. Mother's Day is a wonderful day of celebration, and each of us has a mom who has loved, trained, cared for us, and sacrificially given to us over many, many years, and we're incredibly thankful for them. However, we also know that Mother's Day can bring up some very painful memories for many of us, and our hearts are so sad for those of you who had to face the loss of your own mother, difficult circumstances surrounding your childhood. For some moms, it brings up the memories of a child who's been passed away, a painful struggle with infertility, or perhaps the lost dream of ever being a mother themselves. All these are incredibly painful, and there are moms who are currently desperately struggling with some of the realities of motherhood, issues with health, behavior, diagnoses, and all the messiness that is part of living in broken families. Some moms feel like they have lost their identity as a mother when they're faced with the reality of being an empty nester and missing their kids. But if you, even if those are your situation, we hope that you can still join with us today in thankfulness for these faithful women who are daily lifting up their children before God and pray, continually guiding and leading them in his ways and entrusting their lives before God. One of my first memories of motherhood is vividly sketched in my mind. Our first son, Benjamin, had just been born and after weeks of false starts of labor, and many, many sleepless nights, the midwife said to me, you know, darling, you are just exhausted. You haven't slept, so just go to sleep, have a sleep, and your baby's not drinking much, so just rest. So exhausted, I fell asleep, and suddenly was woken up by someone from the new shift shaking me and, and with a brusque voice saying, wake up, do you want to starve your newborn baby? You haven't fed him in hours. And as I was shaking and trembling as I fared my newborn, I began to realize very quickly that in our world we have access to a lot of knowledge and constantly we have many opposing um, th opinions thrown at us as mothers and parents, many of them that are very helpful and some that are definitely not helpful at all. But figuring out that difference is a real challenge and we need much wisdom and discernment. Mm. Well, with this thought in mind, this morning, we wanted to have a look at a very special text for parenting. So if you'll open up with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Um, this is the most important Hebrew confession of faith. And it describes who God is and what our response to him ought to be. With these words, um, the Jews in the Old Testament, and even today, begin their prayers in the morning and in the evening. Let's look at the confession starting uh, at verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Now, in Hebrew, these verses are known as the Shema. The word Shema is actually the Hebrew word meaning to hear or to listen. But it's, but it's also a Hebrew action verb. And what that means is that one does not actually hear until what is being said is actually done and people are ready to obey the command that is heard. It's like when I ask our son to take out the recycle bin. And then half an hour later when it's still not perhaps done, and I ask him, did you hear what I asked you to do for me? I know he literally heard the words that I said, but despite his annoyed answer, yes, mum, I heard you, I don't feel like he's actually heard me until he's completed mm. the task that I've asked him to do. Mm. Hearing or listening is one of those verbs that carries this idea of the Hebrew action verb into English. Mm. Now, all of Hebrew life was centered around this command, this Shema. And the, the idea is, is echoed by Jesus when he gives the great commandment in Mark 12, 29 to 30. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Jesus refers to the Hebrew action verb, Shema, when he follows this, up, when he follows this thought up by stating, the second greatest command is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. For Christians, the more we learn to love God, this first command becomes less of a command and more of a delight. Any snapshot of the happiest points in our lives would reflect loving God as central to the core of our being. Worshipping God brings us our joy, peace, and our reason for living. As we study God's word, his thoughts renew our mind and dissipate those old lies and replace them with thoughts that are true, honest, pure, and lovely. His word gives us a new and much higher perspective that changes the course of our lives. And that's what the Shema implies. When we read God's word and don't obey it, then it doesn't do us any good. If we only put the words into our brains without putting them into practice, it's like us making an encyclopedia entry, where we have the information, but it makes no transformation on our lives. So Jesus then gives us the second command as a continued outworking of our love for God in our actions by loving others as ourselves. In contrast to this is to love as the world loves. And that is to say that everyone loves in the way that is only right in his own eyes. And this leads to us becoming supreme lovers of self. And so Jesus gives us this command that our love for each other is an indicator of the place that God is holding in our hearts. And wow, how convicting that is for us living in families and relationships where we're all packed close together and when we're irritated with each other's differences and our sin. And yet, how we love others reveals how we love God. The Apostle John puts it bluntly, he who does not love his brother who he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. And so the application would mean that if we love God most, we love others best. Mm -hmm. That's so true, Liz. You know, I was really convicted when you, when you talked about that idea of everyone loving 
in the way that's right in their own eyes. You know, it's so much easier, isn't it, when we can love on our terms and in our ways. It's, it's, the problem is that when I love others, it's, it's often riskless. It's comfortable love. It's really easy to justify putting up these strong boundaries and consequently often find myself loving others that I know will return my love or in a way that I can put it in a nice little box and say, there, there's my love, now I'm done with it. But the problem is that's not the sacrificial love that Jesus talks about. What we've experienced though is that when you give sacrificially, never expecting to get anything in return, God shows up in just truly amazing ways. We're convinced that giving without conditions is a life-changing practice for both the giver and the receiver. In particular, we believe that this is one of the most powerful forms of evangelism in our culture today and a great way to reach out to some of our unchurched friends with the gospel. It's a strategy that we've seen God use again and again to change hardened hearts and bring real joy to people's lives. When we value others and think through how can we love them in a way that they'll appreciate, God shows up. And that's real love. You know, it makes me think of the story of the woman uh, who telephoned her friend and, and asked how she was feeling. Oh, terrible, came the reply. Oh, I've got a headache. My back and my feet are killing me. The house is a mess. And the kids are simply driving me crazy. Very sympathetically, the caller said, well, listen, go lie down. I'll come over right away. I'll cook some lunch for you. I'll clean up the house. I'll take care of the children while you get some rest. By the way, how is Sam going? Sam said the complaining wife, who's... Who's Sam? Oh my, exclaimed the woman, the first woman. I must have dialed the wrong number. There was a long pause before the troubled mother hopefully asked, so does that mean you're still planning to come over? Well, sometimes the thing that speaks loudest is love that is freely given, isn't it? Especially when someone else is in need. Love that is not based on what the giver feels like in the moment, but a sacrificial love that God can use to transform lives. The Israelites who originally heard this message from Moses as they were preparing to enter the Promised Land would have had a very good reason to love God. God had just brought them out of slavery in Egypt, sustained them through the wilderness wanderings, and he was about to bring them into the land that he had promised so long ago to Abraham's descendants. Now, while we're not living in slavery as such, as moms, we can still feel this crushing weight at times. We love God, and yet as we look at the weekly responsibilities before us, the washing, cooking, shopping, getting kids to all the different activities, another coronavirus thrown into the mix, the demands on us double as we require to work while overseeing kids' homeschooling and still finding time to deal with kids' anxieties, sibling rivalry, getting the kids out for exercise. 
and still being expected to get dinner and kids into bed. And then in the midst of this, we're still missing a lot of those things that bring life to us, like our face-to-face -face relationships. And then we have this reminder that God calls us to love him first. It just feels like adding on another thing to our plate, and it's overflowing as it is. Yet each day, as we start by seeking the Lord, handing over our schedules to him, the children, our responsibilities, and all the parts of our lives to him, we are reminded again of his deep love for us. And at the start of the day, by asking him, what does he want to accomplish through us today? And I know that my focus is then in a much better place. We still have many of the storms, but he is there in a practical way, in the midst of the waves. It's the peace of God that reading the Psalms gives me, that permeates my day. It's knowing him as my fortress and that I can trust him despite the circumstances. Mm. And his conviction when I'm struggling with lack of patience that I need to go back to him for help. Sometimes, however, we can forget God's faithfulness and all that he saved us from. Recently, we've been part of a, a COVID-19 initiative to, to connect with some of our neighbors and to, to love them in little but practical ways. One of the things, uh, it's involved some sacrifices, but one of the things that's really blown us away is the impact it's had on our children as they've been able to see God at work in the lives of our neighbors. They've seen how he's been starting to transform our neighbors' hearts. And as we're involved in their lives, we start to see some of the hard realities, some of the stresses that they're facing in everyday life. And, and having some of that perspective helps us to start to evaluate things in our lives. And, and we've grown to be much more thankful to know God's love and his protection in our lives. Our own struggles are really put into perspective. In this process, though, it isn't just that God is growing us, although he is, but he's also growing our children. Those little eyes are watching everything that's happening. They're watching and seeing how God works in our neighbors' lives. You see, for them, it's not a big theological thing. It's intensely practical as they engage in God's rescue mission with us. Verses 6 to 9 of Deuteronomy 6 say, These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now this first great command must first transform our hearts. But then the natural next step is to pass it on to others. And isn't it natural that we would want our children and, to, and others to experience what we've experienced? You see, God should permeate our conversations. He should be a part of everything. He should always be in front of us, as near as our hand or our forehead. He should ever be before us as our doorposts and our gates. The word impress here is often used to describe carving something onto a stone tablet. In other words, God is calling us to carve the truths of his love 
onto the tablets of our children's hearts so that these commandments are internalized and obedience to God comes from the heart rather than legal obligation. It makes me think of helping our children to internalize and live out these wonderful truths um, of the, sorry, it makes me think of helping our children internalize and live out the wonderful truths of the love passage, 1 Corinthians 13. Let me read you a section from the Mum's Revised Impression. If I live in a house of spotless beauty and with everything in place, but have not love, I am a housekeeper and not a homemaker. If I have time for waxing and polishing and decorative achievements, but have not love, my children learn cleanliness, not godliness. Love leaves the dust in search of a child's laugh. Love smiles at the tiny fingerprints all over the newly cleaned window. Love wipes away the tears before it wipes away the spilt milk. Love picks up the child before it picks up the toys. Love is present through the trials. Love reprimands, reproves, and is responsive. Love crawls with the baby, walks with the toddler, runs with the child, and then stands aside to let youth walk into adulthood. Love is the key that opens salvation's message to a child's heart. Before I became a mother, I took glory in my house of perfection. Now I glory in God's perfection of my child. As a mother, there is so much I must teach my child. And the greatest of all is love. Mm. There's much to teach, but the greatest of all is love. Isn't it something we want all of our homes to look like? But if I'm honest, one of my biggest struggles, and I'm sure you can relate, is the idea of hypocrisy. Not living out God in my everyday life. Far too often, my actions are not in line with my words. You know, I think about when I take my kids to church, I pray, I tell them that God can be all their needs. Yet, when, when I have a problem arise, I can sometimes forget to ask God for help. I end up frustrated and not glorifying God. There are other times when, when I tell my kids to love others and, and to work through their difficulties calmly, and then I lose, my, I lose my cool when they're driving me crazy. In these moments, do I go back and tell them I was wrong and apologize? And I ask them for forgiveness instead of ignoring my blunder and not acknowledging my sin? Do we teach our children to follow God, but then get cold feet when it comes to reaching out and initiating spiritual conversations with our unchurched friends and neighbors? It's so important for our children to catch us doing good things, like having a time where we pull away to be with our Heavenly Father, to, to recharge and refresh our souls. You know, our children are very clever. They watch everything that we do. They know every action, and they imitate our behavior and our heart over our words every single time. In the gospel, God offers incredible grace and forgiveness. And that brings 
deep healing to our brokenness and our frailty. Perhaps the most important thing we can model to our children is showing them how to experience this love when we fail. In Jesus' day, the Pharisees would take these verses about keeping God's love close to us ultra-literally by attaching phylacteries or little boxes with scripture above their forehead or on their wrist. In addition, they would attach a cylinder called a mezuzah with verses onto the frames of their door. It's a great idea to post some significant verses around our home, but the idea is how can we be intentional to think through how can we impress God's love onto our family's hearts? Some examples of which have really impacted our family have been having a Bible reading daily where our kids can all take out their Bibles and then we learn a verse together. It's also good for them to start having a short time alone with God where, we, where the kids work through a book in the Bible using a short Bible reading plan. When they make progress, we reward them with something that they enjoy doing together with us. Maybe it's playing a game, building Legos, or going for a bike ride. There are also a lot of influences on our children, such as books, video games, TV, movies, and they all powerfully carve the world's values onto our children's hearts. Often these values are not uplifting, respectful of authority, and they can have a big impact on our children's worldview. However, there are lots of great resources which can help us to be intentional about filling our children's minds with stories, songs, artwork, all that is lovely, pure, and uplifting. As we wrap up, we are in a very significant time to think through some of these things. The coronavirus has given us a new normal, yet at the same time, it's provided a break from our everyday lives. A time to make some changes to help us take one step closer to Jesus. It doesn't always need to be a huge life change, although sometimes it is. So after being hearers of the word, let's consider what we can do to actually apply some of this to our lives. So let me ask a question. Are we practically experiencing God's love in our lives? You know, the only way we can give is out of an overflow of God's love in our hearts. So for some, a first step might be taking a risk and being real with God or a friend from church and sorting out some of these God things. Or you might ask, what does it look like for me to reflect God's love to those around me in the church and outside of the church? How can we impress on our children's hearts the love of God? Is it a part of our daily conversation? Do we remark on it when we're at home, in nature, or running around in the busyness of life? Lastly, and most importantly, what is one thing that God has laid on your heart as a result of our time here together? What is one realistic step that you can take this week? Perhaps it is putting a regular quiet time into your schedule. Maybe it's cooking a meal for a neighbor, or just to say that you're, uh, maybe it's cooking a meal for a neighbor just to say that you care, or sitting down and coming up with a more of a strategy to model the love of God to your children. Sometimes it's taking an opportunity that God gives us. For instance, this last week our camellia tree had an abundance of flowers, and so we decided to share them with a few of our neighbors. 
one neighbor was out in her garden at the time. And so we ended up having a conversation, but which turned into an hour long conversation with her. And she opened up about some very real struggles mm. in her life. And we just love those, those unplanned God moments. Mm. Let me close with a story from Sir William Shackleton, uh, the famous Arctic explorer, who was once asked to recount the most difficult experience he had. He described how one night in an emergency hut, he and his men were trying to sleep. They had just rationed out the last biscuits. There was nothing else left to eat. Every man appeared to be asleep. Shackleton, though, noticed some movement. He saw one of his men turning to see how the others were going. He obviously thought that the others were asleep, and so he slowly stretched out and reached over the next man, and he took his biscuit bag. Then he removed the biscuit. Now, at this point, Shackleton was dumbfounded. He thought he could have trusted this man with his life. Now he was stealing another man's last biscuit. Had the pressure turned him into a thief and a betrayer? Then Shackleton saw this man move again. He removed the biscuit from his own bag, and he put both the biscuits into the other man's bag. Then he quietly returned the bag to his sleeping friend's side. Shackleton said, I dare not tell you this man's name. I felt that act was a secret between himself and God. May we be like that man who gave his last biscuit to someone in need. For you never have heard anybody, including our children, saying, I left the church because they love me too much. <laughs>